Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey there, my name's Michael Laminato, and this is Practice Day at the 2023 Spanish Grand Prix on Pit Pass F1. Pass F1 is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts, and on today's episode, Max Verstappen sets a sizzling pace at the front of the field around a new track layout that drivers hope will improve the quality of racing on Sunday. But though the Dutchman looked comfortable up front, the field was very close, much more so than usual, which at least promises an exciting and unpredictable qualifying. And upgrades were the name of the game on Friday, with the focus on Mercedes and Ferrari's latest major update packages as they attempt to claw back ground on the leaders. So to talk us through the first day of track action in Barcelona, let's hear now from your host on the ground, it's Chris Medlin. Hello folks, Chris Medlin here after practice day in Barcelona, back to my Equi hotel room once again. And Friday was quite an intriguing day behind the usual suspects. I mean, how many times are we going to end up saying that this season? But Max Verstappen was leading the way over one lap and on the long runs. And his qualifying simulation advantage was only 0.17 seconds over Fernando Alonso. So that's where it looked really, really tight today. It was actually on high fuel that Verstappen looked particularly ominous, backing up the expectation that we mentioned on yesterday's show that Red Bull would be suited to this new Barcelona layout with the fast two final corners putting more emphasis on high speed and then the long straight where uh, the efficiency of the car would really come into play. But it's a layout that most of the drivers were fans of, uh, with it leading to a faster and more exciting final sector that many believe will also help overtaking because there won't be that accordion effect you used to get with the old chicane where a car would be accelerating out of a low speed corner and pulling away as they accelerated up to top speed before the car behind could accelerate up. Uh, and then the gap would only reduce late on in the straight when they're starting to get towards top speed, maybe with the RS open or a slipstream. Now with the faster corners, it means they're going to hit top speed earlier uh, and then you're going to see the impact of the DRS or the slipstream from an earlier point in that straight. So they'll be kind of closer as they head towards turn one. That's the thinking anyway. But if we focus on how Red Bull looked, very, very strong. As I mentioned, not a huge gap over one lap, but it hasn't been a huge gap over one lap for many qualifying sessions this season. But it was Verstappen leading the way in both practice sessions once again, looking more comfortable than Sergio Perez, although Perez was getting closer to the pace in FP2 uh, and where Verstappen was just a bit a bit too good really was in the race sims so I think we're going to see the usual type of weekend play out at the front between those but Verstappen will have to put it together over one lap because the Red Bull just isn't that dominant over one lap it's not where its strength is so what was more intriguing was how many teams were following further behind and there was a lot of teams that were able to get close including some unexpected suspects I know, what a cliffhanger. Well, the surprise of the day was undoubtedly Nico Hulkenberg. He was up in third place on the timing screens in FP2. He was just over a quarter of a second away from Max Verstappen's time, exactly one-tenth off Fernando Alonso in second place. 
And that was a, a pretty impressive lap from Hulkenberg. It caught George Russell's eye. He said he didn't know how or why Haas was so strong and where that pace came from. Uh, but it really was a, an impressive lap time. Espen Ocon was up there too in fifth place. Uh, he was just 0.004 seconds ahead of the Ferrari pair. Four thousandths of a second to put it in the way I really should put it. Uh, but continuing his good form so far and Alpine does look competitive over one lap maybe in the race pace lacking a little bit in that sense but I don't think Fry would be too upset to, to be behind him and that close because both cars were there we'll get into that in a little bit but what was really telling was Hulkenberg mentioned how the car was just to his liking he felt confident he felt he said like he was in the driver's seat and by that he meant he was in full control of the car he knew what it was going to do he knew how to manipulate it in the way he wanted to so by having that full command he just could use that confidence just to ask a little bit more of it in certain corners push for that little bit of lap time and it showed up in fp2 so he says that's what he's targeting when it comes to qualifying he wants to have the car in a place where he fully trusts it and then he can maybe make a bit of the difference because he said it's so close in the midfield now with all of these teams that anyone who maybe doesn't have the car in the perfect window will lose quite a bit of time but certainly a lot of positions even if they're only a tenth or two off where they really want to be if you've got the car exactly where you do want it, then you're going to find the sort of lap time that could really catapult you from maybe almost dropping out in Q1 to getting through to Q3. So that's kind of the target that Hulkenberg is setting himself and Haas, who he said needs to stay cool. It shouldn't think it's going to repeat third place in qualifying, but that it can be aiming for the top 10, certainly. And it could well be the closest Q1 we've seen in this format, though. Uh, around 1.1 seconds between the whole field is the record from Bahrain earlier this year. Miami came pretty close to matching that, I believe, as well. But I think we could well see it here. There was about 1.1 seconds between 19 of the 20. Logan Sargent just not getting his lap together, so it was one and a half off uh, Max Verstappen in FP2. But we could well see in that first uh, Q1 when normally the front runners only need one lap if they can put it together uh, and you've got those trying to fight to get out of Q1 that need a couple but they then find a bit more time uh, it really will get tight so even someone like Hulkenberg today looks so good but he knows if they don't have it perfect tomorrow then Haas could end up in trouble and dropping out in the first part of qualifying so that is going to be fascinating to watch. Now Lewis Hamilton by contrast was a little more reserved he was actually talking about the fact that he thinks it's going to be a bit of a struggle for him to reach Q3 as it stands based on how Friday went. He was 11th overall after a slightly scruffy flying lap in FP2. It started with the fastest first sector but then faded but I'll get into the reasons for that in a minute. The gaps were still very close as I mentioned uh, just now. He was only 0.6 seconds off the pace but he seemed to suggest that the car hadn't quite given him the step forward he hoped for with the upgrades that Mercedes are analysing here. Obviously a big new package that Mercedes brought to Monaco. Drivers seemed pretty happy with how it handled, with the feedback they were getting, how it felt, and again, that all-important confidence that they had in the car. But they couldn't really see how it would play out on a normal high-speed track until this weekend. And I think probably expectations have become a little higher after last week and then got brought back down after today. So there was a point where Hamilton said, the car is the car. Essentially saying, you know, we're, we're stuck with it for this year. We're trying to improve it, but we are working with something that we're not fully happy with and we're never going to fully get to the point that we really want. So uh, a lot of work to be done still at Mercedes, maybe to unlock more potential in the car as well. Hamilton did split strategies with George Russell, so this is the point I was just about to hint at earlier. Russell ran high downforce, so he was a bit slower on the straights, but he had a, a car that he could trust a bit more in the corners, could be flat through turn three, for example, which is the long, sweeping right-hander 
near the start of the lap. Hamilton went for a low downforce setup, which explained the sector one pace he had, because in a straight line he was just gaining time with the low downforce because it had less drag. But that then meant he was struggling afterwards, sliding around a bit, having to lift off in certain corners that Russell was able to take flat, and the tra- and the rest of the lap just kind of got away from him, which is why, as I say, it kind of faded, and he ended up six tenths off, having been quickest of everyone in sector one. So finding that balance is the kind of sweet spot that Mercedes are looking for between those two setups. But it was Russell's long run pace that encouraged the team. He looked more competitive on high fuel, like they're really in that mix with Aston Martin, Ferrari, maybe Alpine, but Alpine perhaps not quite so good on long run pace. So that was something that was pretty promising for Mercedes. And Ferrari similarly had some positive words afterwards as well. I mentioned that we'd get back to them. Charlotte Clerk and Carlos Sainz in sixth and seventh. And they were they were happy with the new parts they brought here. Side pods were the clear difference. They look a little bit more like the Red Bull side pods, but not overly, just a departure from the approach that Ferrari had been taking previously Uh, and there's definitely more to learn from them and that's what Leclerc was saying but he did feel it was a step forward it was an improvement so I think generally positive that they were getting what they expected out of it even if it didn't leapfrog them up the times but also to have both drivers very close together within four tenths of, of the front we've seen Ferrari be very strong over one lap and I don't think from hearing them talk that they fear they've lost that edge they still think they're in that same sort of position that they they could get close to fighting for pole position they put it all together but more encouragingly on a long run they think they're maybe just that little bit more consistent which is the main thing that Ferrari have been looking for this season but all of it reiterated just how tight it's gonna be Uh, qualifying is gonna be really good Now, one final thing I wanted to touch on on today's pit pass was an interesting exchange between Franz Tost and Fred Vasseur in the press conference. So in between FP1 and FP2, there's normally a press conference featuring team members, be them team principals, technical directors, sporting directors, and they're grouped together normally within the same role. So it was a bunch of team principals today. Uh, And Tost and Vasseur were joined by Andreas Steyer uh, and Mike Crack. So you had the McLaren and Aston Martin bosses in there too. But between Tost and Vasseur, it was interesting because they were asked about Laurent Mechiers, who is set to join as AlphaTauri team principal, but there's been no release date agreed yet by Ferrari. So he's still on the Ferrari pit wall, which is quite interesting, fully integrated, doing his job as normal there. Uh, but talks are ongoing about eventually getting released to go to AlphaTauri and become essentially at that point part of the Red Bull family. Now, Tost mentioned that if Mechiers doesn't come, then AlphaTauri still has... Peter Bayer joining, who uh, is going to take on an executive role within the team as well. Both were announced at the same time, but he expects Mechies to join by the start of next year. But the fact that he even said, if he doesn't come, just seemed a strange uh, admission, I guess, or just a strange term to use because they've already announced his joining. He must have signed a contract. It, essentially, it might just be that he has to wait for his Ferrari contract to run out. Fred Vasseur was probably a little bit more positive, actually. You know, he could have followed up and been like, yeah, we'll see. But he did say that it, they need to find a deal between Red Bull and AlphaTauri with Ferrari, but that they'll do it in a proper way because Vasseur says he doesn't want to block Mechiez. He says he knows him and has huge respect for him. And he says, even if we're competitors here at the end of the day, I think we have to find a fair solution for everybody. So there's a bit of a tug of war ongoing. It's not been the smoothest transition like we saw with the recent announcement of Rob Marshall leaving Red Bull for McLaren next year, where Red Bull thanked Marshall. There was a clear starting date and they praised him for the work he'd done. Ferrari is still not too happy about the way Mechias was announced as leaving because they were unaware and they're going to work out terms that they're happy with. But uh, it will get done eventually, it seems. But that one is one that is dragging out.
Thanks very much to Chris Medland, and let's hope those predictions for a tight qualifying session do come to pass this week. Make sure you don't miss an update from the Spanish Grand Prix paddock by subscribing to Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts, and you can visit us at pitpassmotorsports.com. You can also keep up to date on goings-on between episodes by following Chris on social media. Just check the links in the show description. My name's Michael Laminato. Pit Pass F1 is an evergreen podcast. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.